0: And then I went back all through my life, everything I could remember, and I thought, wait a second, lady. I'm the problem? Because it started to make sense. The moment I was born, she disappeared into bed because all of the attention went to her newborn child. Right. Starting to succeed in every way and who defied the medical community and everything what should be. Even right now, the medical community tells me I'm so rare that I'm statistically irrelevant. So... The intention went to me. And what did I do? That's what I did. Kept on succeeding, kept on defying, kept on pushing the boundaries, kept on doing everything that they told me wasn't possible. But instead of being proud, I was the target to take down. Mm. And so at 19, this realization came to me and I said, wait a second. I'm the problem. So the the lady, my mother, went ahead and said, well, it's very easy. I'm going to make this very easy for you here. If you do anything against me, if you say anything against me, if you leave, if you try to do anything, if you speak up, here's what's going to happen. I cancel your health insurance because she could have. She was on the same plan. And or I kill myself.
1: What's up, you beautiful beasts? I'm Katie. I'm on a mission to help humans become the best possible versions of themselves and to strive for overall health, mental health, emotional health, physical health, all of the healths, without ever having to step on a scale. I have had the privilege to talk to all kinds of different humans who've been through a plethora of experiences just being a human and existing. I believe that every single time somebody shares their story, at least one person listening will learn from it, be inspired by it, and maybe, just maybe, even change the entire direction of their life. These are the stories of humans unveiling their beautiful beast. Keep listening. This is the Unveiling the Beast podcast. So how are you doing today? It's nice to meet you.
0: So nice to meet you too. I'm doing well, really well. It's a mindset, anyways, but I'm doing mm-hmm.
1: well. Yeah, that's awesome. How are you? I'm good. I'm um, I don't usually do um weekend appointments, but so many people responded to my post that I had to open up some time on the weekend. So
0: appreciate it. Thank you very yeah. much. It was just a thought that worked perfectly.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So I did some, I call it pre-stalking, which is kind of a, a weird phrase, but I went on your page just to learn a little bit about you. And the thing that stood out for me was your love for animals.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: So tell me a little bit about that.
0: So I've grown up around animals, really. Dogs in the beginning, and then out of the blue, it was back in Switzerland where I'm originally from. One day a cat walked in, and I didn't think I was a cat person at all at that time. But I was young, like I was 11ish, 12 maybe. And we, my parents had a cocktail party, and it was nice weather, so they kept every all the doors open uh, for the dog and the dogs of the invitees to circulate as well. And then walks in this white cat. (laughs) Like <laughs> in the middle of everybody and never leaves, literally. So he stayed with us for a very long time indoor. But I've always had a love for animals and wanting to be a voice for, for them as well. Yeah. So, yeah, and I guess it's just part of my personality. Um, being a highly sensitive person, um, attuned to to the... To, animals yeah so I I, it's like it's maybe spiritual also so I like to have them around and uh, Mm -hmm. give them a good home give them a good family and be a voice for those who don't have one
1: yeah I love that um I recently went from one cat to six (laughs) um a a litter was born in my shed Mm -hmm. and I I basically rescued them I found them the day they were born I took them in washed them off put them back to be with their mom and then when it, um, there were six and three of them died. So um, when it the weather started getting hotter, I'm like, we can't keep them out there. So I brought them inside. Yeah. And so that was the three. We call them the triplets. And then she had another litter outside and brought the the two that survived that litter into our backyard. And then she disappeared. So we take care of them now, too. So now we have six cats
0: <laughs> as long as they get spayed and neutered uh, so that they don't yes multiply. yes yes, yes. and their shots because it goes <laughs> fast especially in warmer climate climates where it's like mm-hmm. you know, all year long it goes viral. yeah yeah uh, we're big advocates of spaying and neutering as well so that we kind of curb the population with yes cats because otherwise it's just exponential
1: yeah then i'll end up with 20 cats in my backyard <laughs>
0: And unfortunately, some of them dying in the litter is quite common. It's mm-hmm. uh, different names for them. They're fading kitten syndromes, uh, FIP,
1: mm-hmm. but there's
0: really not much you can do. for. There's not much you can do. And um, these mother cats seem to know because they, they keep on focusing on those who will make it and leave the other ones kind of mm-hmm. behind. So it um, seems a little cruel to us, as, but in the animal world, it makes sense. Right. But yeah, unfortunately it's very rare that everybody in the litter makes it. Mm. It does happen, but it's rare.
1: Yeah. It's sad, but it's part of life, right? It's part it's of like life. And it is, it is yeah. sad,
0: especially when you when we humans want to do something about it and there is nothing we can do about it.
1: hmm So I'm gonna I'm gonna change the subject just a little bit, just so I can learn a little bit more about you. Sure. Yeah, so who who are you, and what makes you you?
0: That's an interesting question. Um, so my name is Sasha, that's, uh, and my story, I was born with a disability that should have left me in a wheelchair, mentally challenged, and then by the age of seven. Mm. Um, I'm 45 now, I've done everything the medical community told me cannot be done. I did write a book about it, too. And often people ask me, so your parents must have been amazing and the support, right? And so I have to answer that my mother was unfortunately mentally very sick. Um, she was believed to be a borderline personality and narcissistic personality disorder, both of them together. So it was all always all about her. Um, when I was born, she disappeared into, uh, to bed for 10 years with imaginary back, back problems. And I'm saying imaginary because... But when I was 12, my father had built a holiday house up in the Swiss Alps. And um, when she didn't want anything to do with this house, gave him hell. And Mm. the moment it was built, she disappeared to this holiday house and her back pain vanished. So it turned out it was mental. But to the point where she pushed it so far that to the point she got two unnecessary back surgeries as well for it. Mm. uh, It was everything about her. And she made sure to make my life as difficult as possible and to ruin it wherever she could until she even decided to commit suicide uh, 10 years ago against me, quote-unquote. This is what we later found out for, because uh, I had told her at the the age of 34 at that time that if she wouldn't get help, I'd have to move a little bit further away because, I mean, she'd ruined multiple careers, she chased away multiple girlfriends, she made my life hell. And when I meant further away, imagine this is a Swiss city. So it's like, it's 15 minutes away up the road, the other side of town. Yeah. And she said she was going to get help. But in fact, she killed herself. And when you piece the things together, what she told the neighbors, her friends, you get these little, little the sto- pieces of stories that make sense when you hear them all. Mm mm-hmm basically wanted to punish me because she thought she'd lost me and that I would go away, but I'm not carrying it whatsoever. But that shows the level of her disease. And my dad was a businessman, a CFO of a very large company, international company. And um, as I'd been severely bullied in school, he would often take me out of school to travel the world with him. But his education was Listen, you're not playing in a corner. You're coming, we're doing some sites here, but you're coming to the office as often as possible. You're coming to the luncheons and the dinners as often as appropriate. You're listening in. And if you talk to somebody, you're talking to the adults. Understood? So, and that was from the age of six to sixteen. So I got a business education at the highest level, board board levels and CFO levels and C-suite levels very early on. But it also had its downsides, obviously. He passed away when I was 16.
1: Mm.
0: And earlier on when they'd established that my disability was not gonna kill me, and I call it I'm not calling it a disability because I don't appreciate the term because I don't think it's accurate. I don't think anybody is completely disabled, so I like to call it differently abled. Mm. But I think like that, that. We're all differently abled, whether we're considered medically disabled or not is one thing, but we're all differently able. So I like to take this, I like to take this out because I don't believe anybody is completely dis-anything. So the disability puts you in a box and saying you can't do anything. Right. And with certain conditions, this is truer more than others, but, but even then, they are, there are abilities, so I don't like to call it disabled. But going back to when they decided that my disability was not going to kill me, they thought, well, his bladder is paralyzed from birth. He uses catheters to go to the bathroom. So now it's probably the UTIs that are going to kill him. And so we're going to yeah. give him three times a day medication against UTI to just prevent them meaning that 10 years later, 11, when they took an ultrasound of my kidneys, I had kidneys of a 90-year-old man. They told me dialysis, transplant, and death before the age of 18. So at that time, further, I decided that I would live my life the way I wanted. I went skiing, I went mountain biking, skateboarding, anything I wanted to do, but I was very uh, conscious of the fact that if I was to fall on my back, because they closed it just with skin in 1978, and underneath the skin are the nerves, lower back. I could kill myself or be in a wheelchair. So I always learned how to fall first. I would be standing on my skis, flat, not moving, falling left, right and forward because I knew backwards wasn't an option. And when I had the falling thing down as good as possible, I would learn to do the actual thing. Now this is how I approach things, always trying to find a way to do it. And three years went by and at the age of 14 they had me come back to the hospital and took another ultrasound because they were like, why is this kid not deteriorating what's wrong with him and and they came back like white like a white sheet of paper and looked at me and my parents were around it at that time and said we don't understand we're not idiots and i looked at them thinking to myself at 14 i never assumed you're idiots i don't know what's right. going on I'm, am i dead and i don't know it yet or what's happening there and they told me Your kidney, we have two ultrasounds, and we call specialists around the world. Your kidneys have regenerated to your normal age, but kidneys don't do that. We don't understand what's wrong. I mean, what's going on? None of this should be happening. You shouldn't be walking. You shouldn't be alive even. You shouldn't be mentally challenged. Your kidneys shouldn't regenerate. What on earth is going on? They still don't know. And so at 14, then my dad passed away at 16. and um, so that's a bit of my story. Um, i'm I'm a speaker, I inspire people. I call myself a transformational life specialist. I help people reach the next level, overcome their obstacles and um, thrive in any way they would like to.
1: I love that. I love that. So do you do you also work with differently abled people or do you work with everybody?
0: I work with everybody.
1: Okay. I work insane.
0: with everybody who has a strong desire to want to reach the high, next level and is willing to put in the work. As mm-hmm. so I always tell my clients, I can tell you how to do it. I can guide you, but I can't do it for you.
1: Yes. So if you don't have
0: any desire to actually put in the work, this is going to go nowhere. Mm-hmm. But if you actually have a desire to put in the work and practice what I'm telling you and practice the tool and, and get, get feedback, To get to the next level of your life, your career, whatever it may be, to overcome your limited beliefs, to overcome the obstacles, to overcome the trauma, to deal with it, to leave it behind once, once and for all, then we can work together. But that's the only thing I'm asking from you to come when you come to the table. Yeah. I want you to just say, okay, I'm here, give me the tools and hope it's going to fall from the sky because this is not how it's going to work. And then also asked me how long. I said, Well, that depends. I some clients it's years for it to leave the limited belief behind, get the breakthroughs, get to the next level, deal with the trauma. Mm-hmm. And some people it's months. So I can't tell you. It depends, and we're going at the speed of the person concerned.
1: Yeah. I love that you mentioned that too, because so many people are looking for the quick fix. Yeah. And they, they buy the quick fix and then it doesn't work, and they buy the quick fix and it doesn't work and when you tell them it'll take some time you know um but the time's gonna pass anyway so you might as well do it you know putting in the work and getting the results that you want
0: i know what i bring to the table and it says on the website as well and i bring all these breakthroughs these understandings throughout my life these obstacles meaning literally having deaf on the other side of the table and circumventing it and still achieving everything they told me was impossible, going to the best school on the planet, reading, I love readings, reading hundreds and hundreds of books, probably, well, thousands by now. So mm. I bring all this, uh, all of these things, uh, all of this knowledge and experience to the table. But if you're just thinking that it's going to work because I'm going to tell you about it and I'm going to give you the tools, it's not. So... Right. always important for me to also be realistic and say it will work if you apply yourself and if you apply what I'm telling you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And that's what I tell them when they say well, will it work? Yes, it will. All the clients who've done it, it has worked and those clients who decided that they fall off or they don't want to put it in, it hasn't worked but then I always tell them, have you watched the videos? Have you watched the recordings of our sessions? Have you implemented the tools? And they go like, no. So I said, it's not going to fall from the sky. Like it didn't fall from the sky for me either the last 45 yeah. years. It was work. It was figuring it out. It was giving you the tool, finding the tools, what works. It didn't just come to me and that was it.
1: Yeah. I love that. That's powerful. I know. For me, the, the tool that I refused to use for so much of my life was actually letting myself feel my emotions (laughs) and, you know, stuffing your emotions for 38 years can actually make you physically sick. So as as soon as I started, because for me, feeling emotions is work. And as soon as I started letting myself do that, that's when I started seeing my life change, you know? Your
0: emotions are important. It's important that you feel them. And usually Mm -hmm. what happens is that they're being stuffed away because either parents, well-loving parents or not so well-loving parents have told you that you're not supposed to feel these emotions and that you're supposed to be tough. Or it also could be uh, through trauma that you don't want to revisit.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Having an understanding also how the universe works, let's call it this way. People have different names for it with the energy. As long as you're stuck with the emotions, you tend to re-experience the same things over and over and over again until you deal with them. Mm-hmm. Because we have found out in, in quantum physics and found out with the Art Math Institute that your heart, meaning your emotion, has a magnetic field that's 5,000 times stronger than your brain. Mm. Imagine in terms of attraction, in terms of what you radiate, well, all of these all of these toxic things that are in your emotions that are also in your energy field. So you tend to get the same experience until you let them go. So the best okay. thing is indeed to feel them and have some people around you, whether a coach or people that you're close to who allow you to feel them so that you're in a safe environment.
1: hmm. Yeah, I highly recommend everybody gets a coach. <laughs> yes,
0: and that's what I also told them. Uh, told my clients is yes, I can give you the tools, and you can say I can do, I can figure it out myself. I said, some of you maybe can, but it's always good to have somebody else who looks in from the outside and can guide you, mm-hmm. and has has patience and has no judgment.
1: Right. Yeah, especially and, uh, the the very experienced coaches who've heard everything, you know, yeah. all different kinds of human traumas and the the ones that don't act surprised when you say something that thinks that you think is gonna surprise them. Yeah, that's what you know? I
0: always tell people as well when they say, I don't want to surprise you say bring it on. You might be surprised that I'm not surprised because I've right. seen so much uh, in my life with myself, my parents, the hundreds of clients. So I've heard a quite quite a deal. And for me it's also important to be non-judgmental and be respectful. Yes. It is your emotion is what it is and we're not here to judge it we're here to feel it find out where it's coming from and work through it so that you can be fr- set free from them.
1: Yes. What are some of the um what's the word I'm looking for? Like some of the like what do people tend to, I don't want to say fight you on like your your clients what do they tend to like would it be pushback or, like, if you say something, they're like, "I don't want to do that."
0: It's like pushback because of fear of going at a place that they don't want to go to because they're afraid of this place. Mm-hmm. But it's often the very place that they have to go to to, to release it and to get a beginning of breakthrough. Yes. So I'm always telling my clients, "Look, I'm going at your speed, not at mine. I may have figured out what the problem is, but." I'm not going to tell you, because this may overwhelm you. Right. I, want to use, I want to go at your own speed and take steps that are comfortable for you. And that's also why the time span is very different from one person to another. Because some person going to say, okay, great. Let me go there. I'm not afraid. I want to fix it. I'm just going to go all in. Let me jump in the pool. You're there for me, so I won't drown. So even if I have my head on the water, you'll pull me back up. Let's go mm-hmm. for it. And yeah. other people are tiptoeing and are more afraid. And I'm very respectful and accepting of that because this is really, it is supposed to feel as good as possible for you to work with me and to be having me around. It's not supposed to go faster than what you can handle.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: That's important for me. And also, that's why feedback is important. I said, like, where are you at? How do you feel? Is that too overwhelming? Is that too much? Should we go slower? Should we or is this too slow? Yeah. So this is really important, but the pushback comes from the fear. You know, I compare it like a dog that doesn't want to go into a, into water, pushes. Oh yeah. The dog is afraid of something. And so and often it's the fear, it may not even be factual reality, but the fear prevents you from going there. So let's work through the fear so that going to the place that hurts is actually comfortable and easier for you
1: yeah actually i had a client the other day i took her on a guided meditation back to her childhood and she was she said out loud she's like can i leave no i don't like it here can i leave no i don't like it here and i i you know so sometimes they're they're vocal about it and other times they'll pretend um They'll pretend that everything's okay so that they can get out of it faster, at least in my experience with some of my clients. And that's what
0: I also tell clients. is like the escape strategy won't give you the results that you want. Right. So the um, avoidance strategy or escape strategy may feel better. Mm -hmm. It's not going to give you the results you want. And then... Mm -hmm. I tell them, look, eating a ton of ice cream feels better than going to the gym. I get that, <laughs> but the results that you want maybe go go by go being by going to the gym and putting yourself through the pain at at your own pace and at your own rhythm. So you're not actually making yourself a favor if you're trying to do the escape strategy, the avoidance strategy. Yeah. So. I- if you're not comfortable, let take, let's take a step, couple steps back, until you feel comfortable, and then let's take one step forward and see if you're comfortable. And one step forward, maybe we've gone too fast, so let's rewind it a little bit.
1: Yeah, I've seen too where um, people interpret the discomfort as they're going in the wrong direction when they're actually going in the right direction, and they just gotta like do the just push through it because it's uncomfortable because it's new you know so
0: that's something very important that i emphasize as well as in terms when i tell them you want something new god the universe call it whatever you want we're not very attached to the names here's uh because it's not what it's the name is not important right You, you give the this force will show you everything that stands between you and what you want. So this mm-hmm. is all the stuff that you have to work through with a coach uh, because it says, yeah, okay, you want to go there, but you can't right now because all of this stuff that we're bringing up to the surface is preventing you from actually reaching your destination. So the best thing is either you avoid it and you turn back and you complain that you've never reached your destination Or we go one step after the other and one hurdle after the other, one obstacle after the other, one trauma after the other, until it's all dealt with and you can reach your destination.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What are some of the other things that you've had to overcome in your life?
0: So I would say also myself really because obviously mm-hmm. throughout this experience in life I had to grow through it and fast mm-hmm. because when at birth they pretty much tell you you're going to die and you're going to be a vegetable and you're going to be in a wheelchair and you're going to be emotionally challenged and, in, and, and I mean not emotionally um, psycho, uh, mentally challenged then you have to outgrow yourself fast and that's the kind of life I had and that's where I also always realized that I felt always more comfortable around older people that are older. Because mm. more mature than my peers be, yeah. often because I, I I had to outgrow them faster growing up around adults, business people with my dad. I had to grow up faster. So it's really the pace of outgrowing yourself. Looking back, which always looking back wasn't that easy, always. And um And really understanding what was going on with my mother, understanding the bullying as well, understanding Mm -hmm. that I am not the problem, it's the the imagination of other people, of other kids at that time, of me, that's the problem, because otherwise they wouldn't bully, It it lies with them, not with me. Yes, understanding why girls, when when I was much younger, when they started being interested interested in boys, would turn away from me, and not be interested in me, mm.
1: because
0: I wasn't the classical healthy athlete and all of these other things. Understanding all of these things, understanding the emotional pain that it caused me, I wouldn't call it trauma, but pain that it caused me that things were this way. Mm-hmm. And then also throughout life, in older, in when I got older, there was always something when I dated that I had to tell them, look, there is this different labeledness. this is potentially what it, this is what it means, this is potentially what it, where we're going in the next years and decades to come with it. And then being just left On the spot understanding Mm. that they don't want to deal with it but but still working myself through that you know so yeah so there there was a lot and i did it and and that's what gives me the extraordinary position to now be there to say i can help others deal
1: with it i love that was there ever a time um Because what I'm hearing is your constant perseverance and um, basically telling other people they're wrong by showing them that they're wrong.
0: Um,
1: Was there ever a time that you felt that you couldn't overcome something? And did you overcome the thing anyway?
0: I did overcome (laughs) it. So I'll give you an example. So when I was 18 years old... um, I had pretty much exhausted every possibility because nobody really understood how my, what was wrong with my mother because outside, as a narcissist that she was, she was always ex- this extraordinary, flamboyant, wonderful woman. So nobody saw the side that I saw, right. and that I suffered from. But when I was 19, I was thinking to myself, I don't know what's wrong with that woman. I've exhausted pretty much every possibility in my mind of what could be going on. And then suddenly I thought to myself, except one. Because who would explore that possibility? And that one possibility was, what if I'm the problem, quote-unquote? What if Mm -hmm. I'm her problem, quote-unquote? And then I went back all through my life, everything I could remember, and I thought, Wait a second, lady. I'm the problem? Because it started to make sense. The moment I was born, she disappeared into bed because all of the attention went to her unborn child, to her born uh, to her newborn child. Right. Starting to succeed in every way, and who defied the medical community and everything what should be. Even right now, the medical community tells me I'm so rare that I'm statistically irrelevant. So my case is so rare. And so The intention went to me. And what did I do? That's what I did. Kept on succeeding, kept on defying, kept on pushing the boundaries, kept on doing everything that they told me wasn't possible. But instead of being proud, I was the target to take down. Mm. And I've, then I went back and I went further. I said, okay, you also made my father's life miserable, and he died of a broken heart, overweight, completely stressed out, trying to travel as much as he could for work to get away from you when I was 16. He was barely 50, had a heart attack. But what happened when he died? You, took never, you never took responsibility for anything, mother. But you blame me for his death. Me, 16-year-old, that I made his life miserable. You always used me as a projection. Mm. And so at 19, this realization came to me and I said, wait a second. I'm the problem? I mean, I'm not saying I'm without fault and that I've made your life easy. No, no teenager, no child does that.
1: Right.
0: I'm the problem? When I had so much stacked up against me and I overcame and I grew myself and I did and I and I succeeded. you're jealous of me. okay and that's uh, okay. When I looked at my life and and well, I always had respect for her because I do respect everybody mm-hmm. as beings. but that's where my perspective of her and her disease changed and at that time nobody knew what was going on. And then I realized, I said, okay, where do we go now?" And they quickly realized we're going exactly nowhere. because when I was, before I was born, she took out an insurance health insurance for an unborn child. And in Europe, the insurance has to keep me, the moment I was born. But no other health insurance would take me and cover me for what I would need. They would take out everything that I have and everything that I could potentially have on paper. And the list is pretty long if you look at medically of what I could have on paper, which I don't, but it could be. So I, I couldn't lose my insurance hmm. because it could mean death. So the, the lady, my mother went ahead and said, well, it's very easy. I'm going to make this very easy for you here. If you do anything against me, if you say anything against me, if you leave, if you try to do anything, if you speak up, here's what's going to happen. I cancel your health insurance because she could have, she was on the same plan. And or I kill myself. Not great options. Neither one. Not for a healthy-minded young man like I, I am, at 19, I said, none of these options are great. So I guess we're stuck. I'm mm. stuck. And I couldn't really ever move further away than in the same building or anything or be in the same apartment. I had to give up control over my bank accounts so that you could control or have the feeling of control o- the, over me. And then I thought at 19, okay, where would, what now? I can't leave, because I can't afford you canceling my health insurance, and I don't want you to kill yourself either. I don't want you to kill me or, or, or yourself, but what I can do is try and figure out what's wrong with you. So in hiding, I read dozens and dozens and dozens of books on mental health, on different diseases. And it started dawning on me more and more. And one day, I read a book called Stop Walking on Eggshells. Mm. At the beginning of this book, there's this questionnaire. And it says that, uh, I don't really exactly remember, but if you answer three or four with yes of these questions, you are living with a narcissistic personality disorder person. Plus borderline, plus whatever else. And I had answered all of the questions with yes. Mm. And I looked at this and said, I'm having a problem here because I'm living with somebody who is apparently very, very strongly mentally diseased. And we always had the same doctor. There was another requirement that she needed before to be living as controlling as possible. And that's me. I went back to our doctor and I looked at them and said, do you understand That this person, my mother, has narcissistic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder. Do you understand this? I read enough books to tell you that. I answered enough questionnaires to tell you that. And at that time he was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, Okay, great. So I was able over the next years, decade or so, because, I mean, this went on then from 19 to 34 for me until she killed herself. To say, I can't leave. But I can use this as a kind of laboratory. So if I do A, what do you do? If I do B, what do you do? If I do C, what do you do, dear mother? Oh, that's interesting. If I do this, this happens. If I do that, this happens. If I do that, this happens. And then one day, I actually realized after years of doing that, you're actually predictable. Hmm. You can actually predict the behavior of the madness. Because you will always only do a certain set of things. And it's repetitive. And the sequence is kind of repetitive. So you're predictable. And all while going through this, I got my bachelor's degree, my two bachelors, my degrees and minor in two and a half years instead of four. I was an A student, got my master's degree, got executive education in the highest schools, run my own business. So when you ask me what didn't I think I would understand is at 19 what was going on with her? And then actually still being able to thrive through the madness. And it was madness. It was up to every day dozens and dozens of text messages from her imagining diseases, having me come back from university, having me drive back for this or that at home, saying that she'd kill herself. And then it was all a joke. And when I would come back, it was like, I never said that. It was written here. You, you never said that? It's written right. here. And saying, yeah, but but I didn't mean it. And just chasing me around, doubling the keys to my apartment, writing me written notes all over my apartment floor, saying liar, pretending all these other things, accusing me of everything under the sky. It was learning how to deal with that. Mm. So now when I have somebody like that, I'm I'm at the state stage of my life where I can say whatever I've seen it all I've known the projection and many years later in fact in business school I had the immense pleasure and joy of having a master class with Daniel Goldman the Harvard psychologist and Mm -hmm. I went up to him and I said listen I guess I know the answer but I'm not trained as you but let me tell you a case and I told him a little bit and he said yeah, she's using you like a projection screen. It's like a movie theater. They, they project it on the screen. They believe their story is real. And they believe that the projection screen is the problem. That's why they tell you, if you wouldn't be in my life, I wouldn't have any problem. That, yeah, that's exactly what I figured, but I wanted you to tell me. So I was really figuring that out and f- thriving through that. And then succeeding through that I mean obviously I never wanted her to to kill herself. It was a choice right. that she entirely made on her own. she tricked everybody, even me the night before saying I get it I understand it I will get help she had dragged me through every emergency room in town at the time in Geneva, Switzerland where we were living. they never found anything wrong except mental. And the doctors would always come out of the room while I was waiting in the hallway because I said, I can't take it anymore. This disease, that disease, it doesn't exist. And they would come out in the hallway to me and say, listen, um, I don't know how to tell you that. And I was like, tell, always tell, oh, you can tell me. Nothing is wrong with her physically, right? She's all mental. And she said, oh, thank God, you know. I said, yeah, but this woman doesn't get help. Because it's always everybody else's fault, but everybody knows. And that's when I told her at the time, I said, listen, I love you, but you need to get help. Everybody pretty much agrees you need to get help. It's nothing physical. There is no issue. You're healthy. Yes, you had cancer when I was 16 and you survived it, but you're healthy. It's mental. You need to get help. Yeah. And that's when she looked me straight in the eyes and said, I understand. I get it. I want I want to change. I will get help. I promise you. And for some reason, that night, I believed her. And that night, I was also back in her apartment because I had issues in my apartment with the windows. And the management company wouldn't send me anybody. It was cold. And I said, listen, I'm not going to pay you the rent. I'm not going to live there until you fix this thing because it's not livable. And then I thought to myself, well, the safest way for, in terms of control for her to find me is in my old bedroom. So let me go there until they fix this. So at least she knows where I am. She can right. control me, quote unquote. And that evening, I believed her, I went to bed. And the next morning, I heard her leave the apartment, which wasn't anything new. She would go to the doctor five, six times a week to complain about all the stuff that she didn't have. But was very real in her head. And I thought her to leave the apartment. I was aware it was early morning because of the daylight. And I said, you know what? Whatever. Tell me at breakfast. Tell me at breakfast what you believe is wrong this time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, well, hours later, police rang at my door. And they were saying, we have this lady in front of the door. Uh, I went oh, in front from the building. We don't know who she is. And I thought to myself, She went to the doctor or whatever, I'm sorry. And I closed the door and I realized in Europe, you can leave your keys at the door. And I was the last one coming in late at night. I left my key, my keys were missing. And I thought, oh my God, you just went upstairs in one store? No, no, really? And I went to look down to the balcony and looked down and and, yeah, I saw it. I saw there was nothing I could do. And I told the police, I said, well, I know who she is. And the fact that nobody recognizes her is because when she had cancer when I was 16, she had lost her hair and it never completely grew back. So as a narcissist, she was, she always was wearing perfect a perfect wig, perfect makeup, perfect everything, and nobody knew. But that day she jumped without the wig
1: mm.
0: in just her robe, morning robe, which was also bizarre. And then we later pieced it together that she waited to a time in the morning where I would have been up, should have been up, but I wasn't. Another circumstance that the God of the universe prevented. Yeah. To jump so that I should see it because she would jump from what just one story about. So this this is is a long answer to the question, but yeah. So figuring it out and striving through it and um, making it out the other side of the madness. Yeah and not having it me actually weigh
1: down. Yeah. What was your your initial um internal response when you realized what was happening?
0: The first internal response was well there were really there was there was a hallway and then there, there were living room and hallway both led to the front door of the apartment. So the police officers were standing on one side. I made it out the other side, and as I knew the, I made it to the elevator fast enough before they could actually get after me. So I went down, and I saw her at my at my feet, and it wasn't pretty, obviously. Right. But and I looked, and there I said, "Look, I've tried to fix many, 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 many things that you did, and that you destroyed, and that you screwed up in your life." I was not given the power to give bring dead people back to life. I can't do that. So I guess it ends here. I understand why you did it, to try and ruin my life, the rest of my life. I'm not gonna do it, you haven't ruined my life. You've threatened me with suicide hundreds of times, if not thousands in my life, that I had come to terms with the possibility so that you've done it is a surprise to everybody because you threatened it so much but never did it in all right. these years so it comes to a surprise to me it became it came to surprise to the, her doctor when i told him it came to surprise to to all of the people who knew about the suicide threatening stuff that was really my thought. I can't, I was not given the divine power to bring that people back to life. I could fix all of your issues and all of your mess ups and all of your screw ups, most of them, 90% of them, but I can't fix that. Yeah. So I guess it ends here. And I guess that this is what you've chosen and it won't ruin my life. So even that has failed. Yeah. But I guess now we're going separate ways. That's what I thought.
1: Yeah. It's powerful, too, that you knew immediately that it wasn't your fault. No, I knew it. Yeah.
0: And I immediately also knew that eventually in the days to come, I would have to speak to neighbors and friends and people she was in contact with and just ask them the simple question. What did she tell you? Yeah. That's when I had asked enough people, what did she tell you, that I was able to actually say, wait a second, there is a story here. Let me piece the different elements of what these people are telling me back together in a in the coherent story because she was giving bits and pieces to everybody. Yeah. And then I was thinking, you actually tricked your world. And even me last night, you tricked your world to the very end. Wow. And one person even told me and said she believed that because I was in politics at the time giving disabled people, differently able people a voice, that, and I was a delegate to my party in Geneva, I was a delegate to my party also to the country of Switzerland, to so the mm-hmm. entire country. And so she had put in her delusional head that I had told everybody, meaning eight and a half million people in the country, how she is and who she is. Mm. And I had told no one, I wouldn't talk about this madness. Two people know, my, knew my two best friends. Mm. To the point that when I held her funeral, at the end of it, everybody in the church, and there were lots of people, came up to me and said to me a version of she was so marvelous, she was so fantastic, you were really lucky to have her as a mother. And I was thinking to myself, yep, you really fooled everybody. Okay, thank you very much. Next, I know she's extraordinary. Next, next. Can we get this farce over now? Right. I will just check. I don't know how many dozens of hands and hear the same version of the same story. But you really fooled everybody. Mm. So, yeah, so this is what I thought. And I always said to her, I'm not carrying it. This is not my fault. And the doctor even told me when I called him and said, listen, I want you to hear this. You gave up the better part of your life. I mean, some of them you were a child you didn't have a choice, but until the age of 34 to keep this woman alive. And you kept her alive until the age of uh, 67 somewhat. So, honestly, all the applause goes to you. And this is not your fault, given nobody thought she was going to do it and that it was just threatening. We've heard it so many times and so many times that we didn't believe it anymore. But it's not your fault. And I told him, I said, I know it's not. I've done everything in my power to get her help. I did everything in my power to keep her stable, to keep her alive, to give her what she wanted, even if it was completely detrimental to myself.
1: Yeah. And I also
0: decided, you know, against winning, I thought to myself at that time, I'm not gonna give you the very thing that you want me from me, that this ruins the rest of my life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm not gonna give you that. But that goes back to a mindset that I developed very early on to find a way to be victorious. And at 19, the doctors actually eventually asked me, how did you do it? And I said, I don't know, I just did. My disability and overcoming differently abledness and thriving yeah. and succeeding. And I went back home and I thought to myself, and I said, wait a second, I have it. And I went back to the doctor and said, I have an answer for you. The answer may not make sense, but I have an answer for you. And the answer is this. There's a fine line between victim and victory, just a couple of letters and you choose. And you gave me the memo of victim and I refused to read it and I wrote a memo of Victorious, of Victory. And I, 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 I only read this one. So while you chose Victim for me, I chose vic- a couple of letters, and I chose Victory.
1: Yeah. I love that. And also, you're the only one in your body. So yeah. if somebody says you can't do something, and you know you can, you're going to do it anyway. Exactly. Yeah.
0: But to the point that when I went to business school, I I had a goal young, because when they always said, you'll never go to school, you'll never achieve anything. I asked my parents at the time, what's the best school in the world? And they said, Harvard. And (laughs) I didn't keep Harvard that much in mind, but I kept the best business school in the world in mind. And in my mid-20s, I was on the board of the, the largest business club back in Geneva. I was the youngest. And the director of a nearby business school was supposed to come, and he couldn't come. So he, the, he sent his deputy to speak to the club, right? And I spoke to him, and I said, listen, I'd like to go for an MBA, executive MBA, and this is my life story. And he said, well, I was 25, I was 28 at the time. He said, well, 27. I said, you're too young. Because our executive MBAs, they're in their mid-30s to 40s. But I have something for you. We have this executive program called Building on Talent. And it's like a mini MBA. And you would be the perfect age. If you have the money, I have formally accepted you. And I said, I don't have to fill out any paperwork. No, I've just decided that you're in. You're the perfect fit. Your life story is extraordinary. Luckily, the money was available, and then I went back home, and I thought to myself, "I am the business school. Where are you? In the where, where are you?" And I went to Financial Times rankings of the executive education and business schools, number one in the world. And I said, "Well, I always said I wanted to go to the number one business school, and I'm doing exactly that. I wasn't attached to the name; I was attached to the top." Right. Funny enough, when I went there, I went to the back to the medical community, and said, Well, it's pretty hard to beat the top as of never gonna be able to study. Right? And they looked at me and they said, Well, that was luck. They were just lucky. And I said, Okay, great, fine, let me do it again. I got accepted into another program a couple of years later, and then I still number one for many years. And, uh, and then I went back to them twice. Still luck? And they said, Well, you know, we don't understand. I said, Yeah, well, I know that. That is the answer that I've heard my all my life. But to just dismiss me, okay, not great. So this is not so much to say, Look how great I am, but it's to, it, because uh, I don't need that. I don't have an ego, but it's to say, Look, I've done it. Now I can teach you how. And Mm -hmm. I've developed tons of tools to teach you how you can overcome, how you can thrive, how can you, you, how you can reach your goals, and how you can be your best version. And I'm using it as a force for good for my clients. And said to say, I went through all of this. It's not about. I don't want to make it all about me because it's not. But I've I've learned so much. That I and I know how and I can give this to you. So let me use this for good instead of saying, I did all of this, I never want to talk about it again. Thank you very much. No, let's talk about it. Let's yeah. put it out there. Show that everything is possible. Let me show you how to can get the what is what seems impossible for you, get it done and make it possible.
1: I love it. And you have seen it all. When you say I've seen it all, you have seen it all.
0: I've seen a lot. I've always considered yeah. myself very lucky to have been born in the Western world because I know that had I been born in third world countries, I wouldn't have stood a chance. Mm-hmm. i considered myself very lucky. And that's something else with me. I always looked at it this way. I always looked at how many more people are actually, quote unquote, behind me are less fortunate.
1: Right.
0: I always had food on the table. I always had a roof. I always was warm, I always had clothes, I was always well kept. How many people are actually behind me? And how few are quote-unquote in front of me? The physically, medically healthy, the more successful. And I always considered myself very, very lucky, because I also know that I am very privileged compared to Maybe tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people in the world. Yeah. But from my perspective, from having been lucky to grow up in the Western world, I've seen quite a bit. I've overcome quite a bit. I've, I, I thrived through quite a bit. I defied expectations over and over again. I pushed the boundary of what was impossible and made it possible. And I've developed tools and methods and programs that now I can teach back to help others go through their own trauma. And as I said earlier, whether they are differently abled or have a disability or not, that's not the point, because we all go through challenges and trauma. And I can be a force for good and that's always what i wanted is to be a force for good for others and for the world or for animals as we said in the beginning
1: yes that's awesome i appreciate you so much for sharing your story i i really think that at least one person if not 10 people will be very touched and you know will probably learn learn something from it so thank you so much for sharing all of that with me
0: and thank you for listening um,
1: thank you. yeah I do have one more question for you, which I ask everybody at the end of every episode. And that is, if you had one piece of advice that you could give to the world, what would it be?
0: Hmm. I would say be more compassionate and more open-minded. I realized I speak four languages and I understand seven, six and a half to seven. <laughs> Um, that, and I've lived it on my own, in my own body and my own experience from the bullying and from all of the, my mother and all the other episodes that I told you, the me- medical community, that strange isn't bad. And I realized in multiple languages, we call people who are not from our own country strangers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And strange has a very negative connotation. And and strange is not bad. And I don't like strange. I I like different. Mm -hmm. Because nobody is strange. We're all different to varying degrees. And we can learn so much from our differences. If we would only be open-minded and more compassionate towards each other. If we would only open our minds to beyond our upbringing, and beyond our boundaries, beyond our communal boundaries, beyond our nation's boundaries, and just listen to one another, and remove ourselves from strange. Now a disability isn't strange. Somebody who comes from another country isn't strange. Somebody who who is not like you isn't strange. It's just different, and different is good. Different is what makes life so wonderful and so beautiful. If we could only be open-minded and more compassionate and live through our hearts and not through our judgments in our minds and overcome our preconceived notions to embrace difference and realize that if we embrace it, we actually all grow and we all actually are better off and create a better world Not only for us humans, but also for for the animals, also for our ecosystems, for everybody. So I would say this, remove the notion of strange and open your heart, live through your heart. And that also means deal with everything that comes up emotionally in your heart so that you can live a life as free as possible from judgment and preconceived notions. So that not only are you going to grow, but you will stop causing, potentially causing a lot of harm on others through your judgment and preconceived notion, and we would all be better off if we would only live to our hearts and listen. So this is what I would say to the world, and this applies to the animal kingdom and to our planet and to the ecosystem and to everything. Because we also don't tend to listen to our planet. We don't also tend to listen to the animals. And we just kill and destroy and be and That's just not a way to live and to build a compassionate, open-minded, inclusive world.
1: Beautiful. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, Sasha gorakoff signing off. Until next time.